Well, good morning. morning. It's a great morning. So I want to start out, if you'll forgive me, with a really dumb story. Could I do that? All right. I want to introduce you to Henrietta and George. There they are. Now, the problem is that Henrietta has been a horrible nag ever since they were married, and sometimes it was just insufferable, just the way it was. So they ended up actually going to the Holy Land for for a tour, and in Jerusalem... Henrietta passed. And so the undertaker said, now, I can send her back to the United States for $5,000, or we can just bury her in the Holy Land here for $150. And George thought for a moment, and he said, uh, let's, let's just send her back. And the guy said, well, wait, you're going to spend $5,000 for $150? She could be buried in this wonderful place? And he said, look, long ago a man died here, was buried here, and three days later rose from the dead. I just can't take that chance. <laughs> So that's it. Let's pray and go. (laughs) So contrary to what George thinks, resurrection is a good thing, and that's why we're here this morning. So just before Jesus died, they asked him this question. They, They asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one anointed before the beginning of time, anointed meaning gifted and appointed and having the authority to come and fix a broken world. Are you that one? And that's a really good question because Pam and I have been discussing that these last couple of weeks about parts of our life that are broken. And the question is, can Jesus heal those? So Jesus' response was this, you have said it, I am. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. You say, why did he say that? Because that's coming from Daniel, the seventh chapter, where centuries before the prophet Daniel declared who the Messiah would be, what he would look like, and how he would come. And Jesus, by quoting this, says, I am he. I'm the one. So can this carpenter from Galilee really pull this off? Now, the religious leaders didn't think so. In fact, they said, you are blaspheming, so they spit on him, and they beat him, and then they took him to the Romans to execute him, and Jesus died. But interestingly, this one who said, I'm the Messiah, also said to them, I will die. Now, how can a Messiah die? He said, I will. And he said, but but I won't stay that way. I will become undead, and I will live again. And then there was this rumor that started three days later by his followers who said that the heavily guarded tomb is now empty. And if that's true, if it's empty and Jesus is alive, then it validates who he said he is. And if he can fix death, then he can fix anything else that's broken in our world. But you say, what, really? Did that really happen? Because if it didn't, I'm going to tell you, then then he can't fix anything in our lives. So the question is this. How do we know that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? Lee Strobel, a former 
well-known Chicago journalist in Chicago working for a very respected newspaper, and a strong skeptic of Jesus investigated this death and resurrection of Jesus to prove that it was wrong, and when he finished, he said, nah, yeah, he's alive. It's done. And so he, he fixes it on, on four E's of the resurrection. The first is this, the execution. He said, there is no record anywhere of anyone executed in a full execution of the Romans ever living through it. These guys were masters of disaster. They, when they killed you, you were dead. It was, it was a done deal. In addition to the five sources in the New Testament, there are five ancient sources that confirm and corroborate that Jesus was executed and died. And then we have the empty tomb. The disciples said, we've seen him alive, and simply, if you're a skeptic, you say he can't be alive, and if you want to fix that, we'll, we'll take care of that. Let's just go to the grave, let's open it up, and we'll see the body. Only they didn't say that because they knew there was no body there, and so they manufactured another reason why he wasn't there, and they said the disciples stole the body. Seriously? Those Keystone cops against the special forces of the Roman Empire? It's not going to happen. Thirdly, there were eyewitnesses. We're lucky in the ancient world to come up with one or two sources to fix a fact, to say that this is true, it happened back then. But there are no fewer than nine ancient sources from inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the appearance of Jesus after he was buried. And then we have these early accounts. Some said, well, this whole thing about Jesus being alive, it's just a legend. Seriously? Historians tell us that for a legend to, to actually come to pass, for a legend to, to actually be embraced, a legend must have two generations of time to be able to push away solid fact, and then it becomes a legend. It's, it's like us looking at, at Pastor Don, who was just up here a few moments ago, and saying, hey, we know that he is Spider-Man. And so we start this rumor that Pastor Don is Spider-Man. Now, we all know that he's not Spider-Man, but if for the next two generations we keep saying he is Spider-Man, somewhere down the road his grandchildren or great-grandchildren will say, my great-grandpa was Spider-Man. And everybody will go, yes, he is. Can you do the theme song? Not only did this... This thing about Jesus began not just in that generation, but within three months, in just several months after Jesus was raised from the dead, not two, two generations later. There is now within the communities of faith that are established and growing throughout the known world, there is this creed. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, I'm passing on to you what was most important and what's also been passed on to me. Here's the creed. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles, and last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So wait, 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 wait. If Jesus is really alive... What impact does that have on us in Erie, Pennsylvania in 2015? 
I want to contend with you this morning that Jesus' resurrection has direct impact on our freedom and our passion and our relationships and our hope, and we're going to talk about those things in these next four weeks. So in 1928, at the age of 19, Eagle Scout Paul Sippel put to sea for a 22-month adventure with Admiral William Byrd to the Antarctic. Ten years later, following Simple's third trip to the Antarctic with Byrd, he and fellow explorer Charles Passel arrived at the calculations to determine what we know today as the wind chill factor. Now, what makes Sippel an expert? He is an expert because Sippel is from Erie, Pennsylvania. And we know wind chill. We live it. So what makes Jesus an expert on resurrection? Because Jesus lives it. Jesus is standing at the grave of a friend with the family of the deceased. And he says to them, so what do you know about resurrection? And one of them, a sister of the deceased, says, well, well, this is, this is what I do know. I do know that all of us somewhere down the road, all of us together will be resurrected. And Jesus said, no, no, let me give you some better understanding. I am going to now enlarge your expectation. And Jesus says this, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now. Right now, the resurrection and the life. Right now, it's already in me. I'm the resurrection and the life. And to prove that, he says to the guy who's been dead for four days, all wrapped up in that tomb, and that they said, you don't open the, don't open the, 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 the stone there and, and roll it back because he's going to stink. He says, come out of there. And that dead man comes back up, and Jesus says, see, I am. Now, look, understand that while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he is still resurrection and life. And when they said... His heart stopped. He's dead. He is still resurrection in life. And for the next three days, that body is going to go through some very serious renovation. It's going to happen. Neither Satan, evil, or death could enslave him or hold him captive. So if that is the truth, how should we live since Jesus is resurrected from the dead? And Paul describes it this way. Christ has set us free to live a free life so take your stand and never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. They didn't put a slavery on Jesus and they can't put it on you. It is for freedom that you have been set free. So my wife Pam has this gift of renovation. She'll walk in someplace and go, you know what we could do with this? I don't want to know what we could do with this. So we'll go down a couple times a year to visit my mom, who is now 84, and we'll go to her house. And my mom, growing up, my mom always had a clean house, and she, just, she, she did really nice things with her house. But now, as she's 84, her energy level is less, and, and she's got aches and pains that make it difficult for her to do much, and her resources are, are very limited, so she can't do a lot in the house, and she can't clean it a lot, and so she has a person come clean it once a month, but that's not enough. So when we get there, Within hours, Pam is already beginning to clean as, as she knows my mom would want the place to be clean. And so she's cleaning. And I can tell you that within a couple of days, 
I will find myself with her at Hobby Lobby. Have you been to Hobby Lobby? Disneyland for designers. It's a crazy place. And, and she'll say, that picture's nice, and that picture's nice, and then she'll say, grab this. She tells me to grab stuff I didn't even know you could hang on a wall. But what's going to end up there? We'll get to the house, and then she'll start saying, okay, we're going to take that down. We're going to put this here. We're going to put this over here. We're going to put this thing over here. And then we're going to move this furniture from this way all the way over here. Never mind. Let's move it all the way back here. No, no, maybe we want it over here. Let's put it over there. No, no, it looks better over there because I can't tell you unless I really see it, but I see it in my head, but I need to see it someplace else. So let's just keep moving it around, and it ends up in the same spot. But boy, when it's done, it's the way that she has actually seen it in her head and it looks totally different because she's a renovator. Freedom, as Jesus has designed it, is walking with Jesus into our messed up lives because Jesus is a renovator. Jesus doesn't look at our lives and say, as soon as you clean that up, I'll come in. As soon as you get your life together, your act together, I will come in and be with you. Jesus says, let me in there. Because I'm going to come in and there's a lot of stuff that's infecting your life and I can clean that out if you'll let me because I love you and I've got these dreams for you because I already see what I have for you. I've got this freedom for you and I want to be in there to do that thing. And we're going to start moving stuff around, and over here we're going to put love, and over here we're going to put joy, and over here we're going to put peace, and over here we're going to give you some patience, and we're going to give you the ability to endure, and we're going to give you gentleness, and we're going to give you self-control. We're going to rearrange everything, and you will be totally different. Our messiest, deadliest places, our fears, our pain, our disappointment, our addictions, our slavery... There is no place we will be that Jesus isn't ready to renovate. So, Anthony, come join me up here. So, Jesus doesn't just wait for us to be really good so that he can move in and say, this feels really comfortable. Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to rearrange you as you let me, and I'm going to take over all those enemies that have been in your life because I'm conquering them right now. So, Anthony, you grew into this, this life full of slavery. What was life like? And hold that real close to your, your mouth. Um, well, I, for 30 years, alcohol was uh, my master. I was tied to alcohol. Uh, alcohol was the answer to everything. Okay. And, you, and, and the way that grew for you is, is you told me this. You said that, that you, were, you were a happy drinker. You, you found that, that when you're with a group of people and you drank, it just made you life of the party. Okay, and, but then you started having some disappointments, and, and you told me that you began to believe that God was punishing you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, in 1994, my youngest brother, who was also my best friend, uh, he died of a, in, a, in a week's time, he, he died. Um, and also that same week, uh, a daughter that I was supposed to adopt, that adoption uh, didn't happen. So... In a week's time, um, my brother died, and I had to undecorate a room for a baby, and I learned a sad drink. Sad drink? What does that mean? Um, I could drink to make myself feel better. Um, sad, and anytime I was sad, I, would, I, I could drink to change the difference or make it a difference. Um, instead of being just a happy drinker, I could now drink for all occasions. Okay. And so, how long, and so that just began to increase in your life? And, and, and it, it, it increased and increased over several, several years, uh, actually 10. 
Um, in 2005, another incident happened. My wife died of a heart attack uh, in front of my 10-year-old daughter. Um, I was supposed to be there to give her medicine, and she died before I got there. Um, so that was just another pile on to the, to the issues. Okay, so things started really, really spiraling out of control. You're trying to control it with, with drink, and then you get to a spot where, where a man has affected your family to the degree that you are ready to kill him. Correct. Can, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, my 14-year-old daughter was pregnant, and when she got pregnant, I made up my mind that I was going to kill the person that did that. And uh, I got all the way to the point of having the opportunity to do that. It, he was in my house, uh, and I was, I was ready to, do, to, 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 to finish that. Um, and I had something happened in me that uh, stopped me. Um, and I knew that it was, it was uh, a power greater than myself. Um, just, just prior to that, my wife had, had told me a, about a Bible study that she heard that was the, the words were be slow to anger. And those words kept coming through my head um, as I was about to carry out that act. And I was stopped completely in my tracks and I knew that there was something different that happened on that day. So, so what is transpiring here, as, as you explained it to me, is that you started coming to a Bible study and coming here to, to, to some worship. Right. You began to be exposed more to Jesus, starting to let him in a little bit. So he's starting to, he's starting to rearrange you. Right. He's starting to change some things inside of you that have been, have been actually uh, taking charge of your life. Correct. All right. Correct. And, and so... You, you see this guy, you let him go, and you told me something happened, a, a burden lifted as he walked away. Right. As he was walking away, I, I saw him for the first time as a person, uh, and I realized um, that I w the things that I was chasing the last two years was, was just, it was probably really me. I was trying to punish myself, trying to, um, you know, I was trying to control things, and, and for the first time, I realized that that was a human being and a person, too. Okay. Then you had a transformative moment with Jesus and an understanding. Uh, I think you were either in a, in a class or you're reading about Moses and, and Joshua. What, hap what did you, um, what happened? Yeah, I attended one of the Bible studies um, here that it was, it was courageous. And um, out of that came a verse, uh, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I wanted to learn the person that said that, and that was Joshua. So I went to the, the first verse of Joshua and, and the, the words there, uh, Moses, my servant, is dead. And immediately that, that told me that's, it's in your past. That's your past. And that made so much sense to me at that time, um, just digging through the word. And then, you know, as, as you move forward in that verse, it says, now go possess the land. Um, but alcohol was stopping me from possessing that land. So I had to, I had to get rid of what was stopping me. Um, and I started down the path of uh, to, to quit drinking. And with, it was in a, a week after that that I took the steps to do that. And how long have you been sober? Uh, two years, five months, and nine days.
I want you to I want you to see that that when you start to walk with Jesus, it's it's not necessarily just this wonderful epiphany where everything's changed and you are perfect. But generally, it is a journey where you just keep inviting Jesus in and say, okay, I'll give you more room, I'll give you more room. And as he starts in, he starts to rearrange and he starts to say, hey, your old life is dead and you've got a new life that you can possess. And the stuff that's kept you addicted to slavery, you don't have to go back there anymore because it did not keep Jesus enslaved. And because his resurrection power is in you, you can overcome that now. In fact, this is what the process is. This is what Jesus is doing now. Paul writes, for Christ must reign until he humbles all his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death, for the scripture says God has put all things under his authority. That means there is no power left to test him. He's overcome every power, and he is in the process of removing all his enemies. And he waits for us to invite him to come in and do that. In our lives, the enemies that, that are his enemies, that are, that are inside of you, he says, I'm going to come and take care of that now. But it means that we've got to have the faith to believe that he loves us enough and that he has the power to do that. So what Pam does for my mom, that whole renovation process, never once has my mom said, here, let me pay you. Never once has she said, okay, you've done this at my house. I'm coming to yours and do it at your house so that I can go favor for favor. And above all, she didn't say, no, 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 no. I'll just live the way that it is right now. When we come to Jesus, freedom is releasing Jesus into our problems, not religiously tolerating them. My mom just accepts the love that we give her. See, religion, the the, the way that we think we're going to have to do this is if we just do enough works, if we do enough stuff to appease God, then we, we have enough to say, here, I'll pay you to change my life. I've got enough now. Seriously? If, if, if I go to your house, your, your place, your church, and I serve there, and then I'm an altar boy, or I sing in the choir, or I, I, I go out and I do stuff that the church does, therefore, I'll do you a favor, and then you come do me a favor, because we're keeping score here, are we? So how much more penance do you need to do? How much more do you do, and then, and then, then you deserve what God does? How many, how many candles do you need to light? How much more do you need to give to the poor? How long do you live in your pain, hoping that one day you earn enough that God will help you? Why do you live there? And and I find people who decide, you know, I can't do that. I can't earn this thing. And so I'll never get that perfection. And I'm just going to have to live the way that I do. But I'll try to cope. And so I'll create my own gods. And so I'll create things that make me feel better. So I I will become a greater athlete. And I'll spend all my time shaping my body. And I'll feel better about that. Or I'll just eat. I'll just continue to eat and I'll feel better about myself, at least in those moments. Or, or I'll get some new lovers and I'll just, I'll just keep having relationships and, and hooking up. Or, or I, will, I, will, I will become the CEO of my corporation and, and then I'll feel really good about myself. You think? And I know some people who even just begin to take gods. They'll say, well, you know, this God works for these people and this God is, is a God of success. And so I'll bring this God into my house and I'll worship this idol. 
Or, or this God is, is a God of fertility and, and I'm having trouble with, with getting pregnant so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to this God of fertility. Or the stars, the stars and, and the spirits around them, can, I'll, I'll, I'll go, go have someone tell me what the stars say about my life or I'll go to a palm reader who knows the spirit or I'll get somebody who can speak for the dead and they'll help me. Paul the Apostle makes it pretty clear. He says this, for in Christ, neither our most conscientious religious Conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. Jiva, join me if you would. Everybody say, hi, Jiva. So, Jiva, how many idols have you worshipped? And hold that right, right up there. Many. Many. It, it became because, because your religion as you were growing up was what? Hinduism. Hinduism. Explain that just briefly for us and hold that really close if you will. So in Hinduism, you worship idols, different idols. Each idol is meant to bring prosperity to your life in different ways. Okay, so each idol is supposed or to bring for, prosperity. Yeah, education or success or health or uh, removing obstacles. So each of these areas has an idol of its own. And also, it's the good deeds you do uh, is what will give you salvation. So the good deeds will get you salvation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you have to be sin-free to receive salvation. Otherwise, uh, you'll go through the cycle of reincarnation and you have to uh, come back to earth and live a life where you're completely sin-free or you have to uh, completely surrender your life to a spiritual guru to uh, reach salvation. Okay, so just so I'm clear on this, so then that if, if I do the good deeds and mm -hmm. I live a really good life, mm -hmm. I may reach salvation and mm -hmm. then, it, then I'm, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, yeah. I, ha I have to go back and start again. Mm -hmm. Yes. I don't want to do that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I didn't want to do that either. <laughs> okay, so somebody introduced you to Jesus. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and it began, it was a process. Yeah. So uh, I had a spiritual guru starting from nine, from nine, from my ninth grade. And um, I always prayed a lot and I spent a lot of time in spiritual um, discipline. Uh, but in 2005, I was going through a breakup and uh, uh, I was heartbroken and I was uh, lonely, depressed, and I didn't want to live anymore. So I was talking to my friend Vinu, who attends the church here now. Uh, so he sent me to a church, and uh, I went to the international headquarters of uh, Pentecostal Church in India. Um, the moment I entered the church gate, I experienced a presence and peace, which I had never felt in any of the Hindu temples or any of the spiritual experiences I had earlier. So there was something special there, and uh, I went to the church and prayed with the sisters there, and um, that was the very first time I ever prayed to Jesus. Uh, I saw the vision of a white cross and Jesus in white. His love and peace filled my heart so much that time, and uh, I was able to live again. Um, I continued to go to church and uh, I attended an international convention there and I received the baptism of Holy Spirit during a worship and I really didn't know what Holy Spirit is but I just knew it was something special and uh, it was something holy. 
So uh, life went on and I moved to a different city and I was still going to church, but I was going to Hindu temples also. At that point of time, I had not accepted Jesus as my savior. I, I just knew Jesus was one of the farms in which you can worship God. Okay, so I just want to say, so mm-hmm. Jesus was along with your other idols. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so at, some, at one point, I, uh, I had friends and... Um, Maybe they were not the right friends for me, and I stopped going to church because there was a point where one of my friends said, why are you so much into Christianity when you are a Hindu? So I continued to uh, go to my spiritual guru, and life went on. 2006, I came to U.S., and I completely stopped going to church or praying to Jesus. Um, But uh, Jesus was faithful to me. Uh, in 2008, I was again going through a very depressed phase and I was all alone and uh, God started bringing uh, good fresh Christian friends into my life and there was something special about the love uh, my Christian friends showed towards me. It was true and it was special. They were always there for me. It was not that I always spent time with them or anything, but anytime I needed something, they were there. Any of the festivals, I, always my friend uh, Lori's family invited me home. Lori's Nana is here with us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so, so let's fast forward. Mm-hmm. Last fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 2013, September, Vinu and Buffy visited me and they were looking for a church to go to. And that's when we came to Erie First Church and uh, worship was going on here at the church. And the uh, moment I entered the church, I felt the same presence of God. And I just knew that time that uh, Jesus didn't enter my life by accident. There was something special about Jesus because, again, I was going through a very difficult state and uh, I needed God. I needed a savior. And there was so much sin in my life that I thought I'll never get salvation in this life because there was no hope. I had no hope at all. So so you were heading back for reincarnation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you didn't want to do that. Yeah, I didn't want to do that. And uh, I started coming to church again, and I decided that I'll not stop coming to church. Even if I'm confused, God will reveal to me what is the true way to worship him. So I continue to come to church, and in 2014, June, Vinu and Buffy moved to Erie, Pennsylvania. So they stayed with me for three months. They didn't preach anything to me, but that was a very crucial point in my life. I stopped worshiping idols. I had idols at home, but I didn't worship. Uh, and I, I begin to experience that I don't have to worship idols to feel God's presence and his love, because he had carried me through all these years, even when I was not faithful, he was faithful. And uh, he kept me safe. He pulled me out of all the wrong situations I was in. It was extremely painful at times, but God was taking care of me. Um, Yeah, and I kept seeking God, and every sermon I attended here at church, God started revealing to me that he was the true God, and uh, Jesus is the only way to... Um, uh, way to 
truth and he is the only one who can give me salvation because he died for my sins and I was forgiven. And then I went to Rock the Lakes and that is when I really wanted God to tell me which way I should follow, whether I should follow Jesus or whether I should follow Hinduism because I realized that I cannot do both. I have to so one master. So uh, during Rock the Lakes, God revealed that to me and I, I had made up my mind to take the decision and follow Jesus. At that point of time, I didn't have an idea that my family might talk to me or they mm. may abandon me. But uh, praise the Lord, uh, I was able to talk to my parents that I accepted Jesus and they're okay with it now. I, I am praying for them. Okay, so you put your faith in Jesus as the only way and mm -hmm. what happened to your idols? Yeah, I threw away all the idols and I threw away all the pictures I had of my spiritual guru. And I know now that I don't need idols. Jesus is alive and he answers every single prayer okay. I have prayed to him. So, it's good. So, you told me the other night when I was talking to you that in this process, as you're, talk, as you're beginning to understand who Jesus is, mm -hmm. you read that he heals. Yes. And you've been having thyroid issues. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so you thought, well, maybe Jesus wants to heal my thyroid. Yeah. So you told me that you began to pray to ask Jesus if that's okay. Mm -hmm. And after about four or five weeks of praying, mm -hmm. you, you felt like Jesus said that, that you don't need to take the meds. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Now, we don't, we don't encourage you to do that without checking with your doctor. So you, went, you, you quit using your meds, and you, and you went in and had a test done on your thyroid. Yes. And this last Wednesday, what did they tell you? Put it's that up normal. It's normal? Yes. Yeah. So, so what I want to tell you is this, that, and I just love this about her story, is that, is that when Jesus comes after you, he's patient, yes. and he'll work with you, and as you open up your life to him, he'll come in and start to clean out things, and he'll do things in your life, and he'll begin to show you what he wants to do for you as he's done for Jiva, and it's simply because of this, that Jesus is alive, and yes. he wants to make you alive. Yes. Thank you. So, so, like, being with Jesus, walking with Jesus is not about religion. It is about walking with him into every part of your life. And when you do that, you get the thrill of seeing him rule with love and with power. So the Romans had this symbolism. They always used symbolism. And one of the great symbols is when they would conquer a, a, a nation, that they would come back and they would have this symbolic victory march. And so they would, they would have this parade like, like you've never seen a parade. And, and it would be full of, of all the plunder, everything they had taken from the people they had conquered. And that would be in the front of the parade. Following them would be all these beleaguered uh, people that they have captured and, and, and these prisoners. And they, they've got them walking behind. And at the very end of the parade would be the king of the nation that they have now conquered. They would go into this great festival, this great feast, and at the, at the climax of the festival, they would take that king and they would ceremoniously execute him and they would celebrate. 
So while Jesus is hanging on the cross, and you, and you look at that cross, you'll see a sign. You remember what it says? King of the Jews. The Romans are declaring by putting that name above Jesus that they now have conquered another king and another kingdom. They have stripped him totally, and they are publicly humiliating is what, is what they would do. But little did they know that at the moment they were doing that, what was really happening is that God was approaching the authorities and the powers that orchestrated that, and he was stripping off their armor and was taking them into public humiliation. For Paul the Apostle says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, they could not hold Jesus back. And the very power that lifted Christ from the grave is the power that resides within us today. For the scripture says everything we need for life and godliness is ours right now. We are not in slavery. Don't go back there and keep living that. We are in freedom. Now, inviting Jesus into our disappointments and into our fears is not automatically easy, and, and sometimes we mess up in the process, and sometimes it takes us a while. Jeva said it, it, she'd get going and she'd stop, and, but Jesus was still there, and that's the important thing because Jesus said this. He said, I'm still with you. I'm knocking on the door of your heart right now, telling you, if you'll let me come in, I will eat with you, and the deal with this is when Jesus comes in and eats with you, he also cleans up the joint and renovates. When Jesus rose... He proved he was the Messiah, the appointed one coming to heal our broken world. And there is no love and there is no power greater than his. He is king of the Jews. He is king of our lives. And we live because he lives. Long live the king. The king has returned. The prophecies fulfilled. The years of longing are over. The king has returned. And now all will be made right. Amidst shouts of praise and tears of joy. The pleading for justice. The cries for our enemies' defeat. The king has returned. The king who was driven from his land as an infant, who spent his first years as a refugee, who understands pain and suffering. But this king is not who we were looking for. This king brings justice, not over our enemies, but in the midst of our enemies. He brings peace, not in our land, but in our souls. He is the answer to the prayer we did not know we were praying. The King has returned. Long live the King. The King is dead. The hand that once held a branch now gripped a hammer. King is dead. This King of Kings who embraced the very nature of a servant. This Prince of Peace broken for us. 
this commander of angels surrendered to a cross. This king joins us in our suffering, empathizes in our weakness, and he calls us to die with him, to lay down our lives, to live in surrender that we may be fully alive. The king is dead. Long live the king. This king is not gone forever. The story has not ended. There is a twist, a third act. There is a third day, and on that third day, the king will strip death of its power and extinguish the sting of Hades. This king is not defeated. This king is not destroyed. This king is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The king has returned, leaving death behind, destroying hate, inviting us all to live in his victory. His kingdom and his peace. Yes, the king has risen. So you came this morning, and I think for most of us deep down inside, it's because we just need to affirm that someone greater than us has control. Now, Jesus proved that he had taken on everything that had authority and power in this world and conquered it, and then he said, I'm going to take care of you. And so... You've heard the stories this morning, those who, the one who's been but stuck in addiction and Jesus kept after him, and one who was just trying to pursue and try to find out who God is, and, and Jesus pursued her. And Jesus is pursuing you. So it's not by accident that you are here. And I think that God is speaking to all of us and reaffirming, and for some of you, he's saying, it's time for you to do a, a Jiva thing, and it's time for you to just say, well, yeah, I think Jesus is. I think Jesus is the one. Some of you are going to, going to be like Anthony and just say, I'm going to believe finally that my old, debt, my old life is gone. It's done. For if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. But some of you just need today to say, okay, I'm going to put my faith in Jesus and we're going to go from here. And so Jesus is inviting you to just come back home to him. That's why he came to this earth, to, to, to bring you back to the Father. And I just think it would be tragic for you to leave here today without really knowing that's okay with you, that's done. It's it, that you're on this journey now to, to find all that he has for you and the renovation that he's going to put in you that will just absolutely thrill you. And so what I'd like to do this morning is give you opportunity to just confirm that and, and, and cement that in, in your life as you begin that journey. And so we're community of faith and, and, and it makes us family. And so I'm going to invite you in just a moment to turn to the person next to you. And you may know them, you may not but we are family. And I just want you to say to that person, 
Would you like to come home to Jesus? And if, and if they're asking you and you say, yeah, I really do need to, to, to confirm that and, and cement that in, then just say, yes, I would. And then that person who asked you and you are just gonna come and join me right here. We're not gonna single you out or embarrass you, but we're gonna pray a prayer together that's gonna cement that. And so whether you're in the balcony, in the galleries, or just on this main floor, I'm gonna invite you to do that. Now to do that, you're actually gonna have to speak to each other. And I just want you to turn to the people around you, and you may have asked them this before, but it's a new day, and ask them again, and just say, would you like to come home to Jesus? And as they say yes, immediately come and just join me right here, and we're gonna have a prayer together. Then we'll, we'll, we'll get you on your way, and you'll have plenty of time to enjoy the day, but today will be a, a pivot point in your life. Your, your life's gonna change. So now, would you just turn to the person around you, somebody around you, and just say, would you like to come home to Jesus? Do that, would you? That's it, go ahead, turn. Come on. And as they say yes, just come and join me right here. There you go. That's great. Yeah. Come on. Your dinner reservation will wait for you. That's good. Yeah. And if you said, oh, I was afraid to say yes because I just didn't know anybody else would, and, and you say, I wish I would have said yes, would you turn to the person and go, change my mind, and, and, and they'll bring it down here. Just move in closer, if you will. Let's make room for everybody that's coming. You all look so good. Anyhow, move in close. That's great. Yeah, we'll wait for you. If you're coming down from the balcony, we'll wait for you. This is just, this is the beginning of a journey for you. And, and maybe for some of you, it's a return back to a journey you started and then it got cut short and you're back on that track again. That's just great. Jesus is pursuing you. He loves you that much that God put on flesh to come down here and to die on a cross for you to give you life. And the great thing is, as you invite him in, he's gonna go after all the stuff that's been wrecking your life as you let him and he's gonna, he's gonna clear that up for you. And we wanna help you do that. So we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to invite you to pray that with me. And just repeat it after me. Because you may say, I don't really know how to pray. Well, it's just, it's just talking to God, and I'll help you with that. And, and just as an encouragement, as I'm going to ask you to repeat it, but let it come from your heart. And the folks that are standing out there will repeat it with you just to encourage you. So can we do that? So we say, dear Jesus, I want you in my life. And you said I could invite you there. And you promised that if I confess my sins... You're faithful and just to forgive me for my sins and to cleanse me from all impurity. So I tell you I've sinned. I want a new life. And so I thank you now for your forgiveness. By faith I declare you remove that sin from me. I don't have to carry the guilt anymore. I am a new person. Your scripture says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So I declare I am free. According to your word, I am free. Not according to my emotions or my circumstances, but according to your truth. So I'm going to live in that, that freedom now. And you promised, if I put my faith in you, 
that I would become a child of God. I declare by faith, I'm your child. So now I invite you to renovate me and make me the way you, you want to. And I will live in that freedom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's great. So, so here's what we're going to do. Because this is a journey, we want to help you on the journey. We're going to invite you in just a moment to just go out these doors right here with these, these gentlemen that are standing by the, the door. And we're going to just take you into a room real quick. And nothing weird or wacky is going to happen to you. And we don't want anything from you. We have a gift for you and an encouragement for you. And the, you, the people you came with will wait for you because they can't get out of the parking lot fast anyhow. So they're just going to stay put. And they'll meet you out in the lobby or here. And you'll be fine. You, and if you need a ride home, I'll give you a ride home. We're, we're, we're good. And we're going to take care of that and, and help you any way we can. And so thank you for this first step or the continued step, this journey with Jesus. It's going to make a change in your life. So would you just go out that, those doors right there? That'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. So thank you for being here today. And if, if you came with some of these folks, hang around. They'll get back to you. And in fact, I just need to encourage you, too, that if you're, when you head out, if you turn left on Oliver Road and head out to Peach Street, for whatever reason on the weekends, they shorten the light, and you're going to be sitting there for a long time. So my encouragement is for you to head down that way and get down to Hammett and Hershey and go that way, or go to Robinson Road and go the other way. You will thank me for it. Just drop me a thank you card and let me know that you're okay. So I'm so glad that you're here. So can we just end this gathering once again by declaring today that Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. And on your way out, the band's gonna keep playing. You can get to celebrate and, and just take some time and greet each other. But let's make it one more declaration for what Jesus has done for us. And let's do it three times. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless you. Have a great day.